believe it or not, the first sermon I preached way back last century was happened to be on part of this passage. And the title was not Dead Man Comes to Life. But uh, when we went to Ghana um, a number of years ago, I was introduced to the concept of talking about the living dead. Now, I'm not too sure what you think about a person who's died. But the Ghanaians would talk about such a person as the living dead. In other words, their body had died, but they were living somewhere in some place. So that's why they talked about the living dead, and I like that. In other words, my mother is amongst the living dead, and she happens to be living in heaven. So this morning we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and the first 10 verses. Then next week we're going to look at conflict management about division and peacemaking. So uh, that should interest some of you. Because none of you have fights, do you? (laughs) So let's read first from Ephesians chapter 2 and see what God wants to say for us. As for you, you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and transgressions, dead in your sins. In this sphere you used to live as the devil's children, following the ways of the world, following the ways of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All of us lived among them prior to becoming a Christian, gratifying the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, following the desires of the mind. You were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of humanity. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms or places in Christ Jesus, so that in order the ages to come, God might show the surpassing riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I'm not sure if you've ever sat in a, uh, a specialist room waiting for a diagnosis. They've done the blood test, they've run the scans, and now you're waiting to hear what the specialist will want to say. I've sat in such a room. It happens to be my toe. My big toe on my left foot. The diagnosis was level 1 melanoma. So that's cancer. Now what do you think when you hear something like that? What do you imagine? Now if you're like me, you don't imagine anything positive. You imagine all the negative things that may come from such a diagnosis. (laughs) Well this chapter that we've read says and gives us the diagnosis that you're spiritually dead. That's the diagnosis. You're terminal in terms of God's idea. 
you actually have a cancer and it's called sin. And the news about that is not good. And it's true of every one of us. All of us have this cancer, the cancer of sin. And unless something is done about it, it's going to doom you. It's going to damn you. So let's think about these verses today. Notice what the scripture says. You're dead in your trespasses. Now to trespass means that you go where you shouldn't go. You violate somebody's boundaries. You cross a line. You stray, you slip or you fall. You deliberately take the wrong road. Now that's true of most of us. That we actually defy what we ought to do and we choose to do the wrong thing. And the consequences are serious. But also it says we're dead in our sin. Sin's a failure to hit the right target, to be what we should be, or to be what we could be. The Bible's quite clear, there's no difference between any of us. Each of us have sinned. We wish the mark of holiness, perfection. None of us can do that. And because of that, we are in a very serious position. You see, sin kills our innocence. Can you ever remember when you chose to do something which you knew you shouldn't do and you're no longer innocent? Sin kills our ideals. Once you've chosen to do the wrong thing, the ideal's gone. It's lost. It can't be regained. We've let it go. But more than that, sin kills our will. Once we set on that path, our ability to say no to what's wrong gets less and less. And then sin will damn your soul. It will separate you from God from all eternity. And that's how this verse describes all of us. We are the living dead because of transgressions and because of sins. So how does this dead person live? Well, these verses say the person lives gratifying the lusts of the flesh. In other words, what they feel the urge to do, what they want to do, that's what they do. Indulge in the desires of the flesh, the desires of the mind. Now Galatians actually talks about the lust of the flesh. And these are the things that characterise a person who lives to satisfy their fleshy desires. They envy. Hands up those who don't want to be like somebody else. Most of us are not comfortable with our own skin. We would like to be different in some way. But we're stuck with our genetic makeup. But we envy folk who have something that we don't and wish we had. We get jealous. Selfish ambition. 
We live for ourselves. We push others away. Become hostile. We quarrel. We're argumentative. Outbursts of anger. Dissension or division. These are folk who satisfy the lusts of the flesh. This is how they behave. Drunkenness. Wild parties. If you're into the culture of Friday nights and Saturday nights in Melbourne and go clubbing, that characterises these folk. Lustful pleasures. Sexual immorality. Impurity, in other words, like a person full of pus. Idolatry, sorcery, and other sins. That's the lust of the flesh. Interesting. And also they indulge the desires of the flesh. They're hooked on it. They can't break loose of it. And they follow the desires of their mind. So what dictates do you follow? What makes you the person that you are? Go where you go. Do what you do. Is it your mindset? That you're so fixed on that and that's what you want to do. Now because of that we become the objects of God's wrath like the rest of humanity. In other words, people who live like that, who are like that, they become the target of God's judgment. And unless there's some intervention, they're destined for hell. Interesting verses. It says we're naturally like that, just the same as everybody else. But then God intervenes in our lives. Says God, who is rich in mercy. It's interesting that we are meant to be characterised as Christians by showing mercy. Mercy withholds from us what we do deserve. Hands up those who had parents who were characterised by mercy, withholding what you do deserve. It's often not very common, is it? So mercy holds back what we do deserve. And then it talks about God's grace. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. Now this is God's characteristic. He's a God of mercy, withholding what we do deserve. When Peter wrote a book, he talked about folk who laugh at the idea that Jesus said he would come back again. And everything just seems to carry on just the same as it is. And maybe that's what you think. That promise is just empty, it's not going to happen. But what Peter says, that God's long-suffering, he's full of mercy. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But then also, these verses say that God loves us. Now we sung about the fact of love today and we're reminded in communion today that God loves us. And the testament to that was our communion focus. Bread in the cup. God loves you. Regardless of what you've done, your lifestyle. It's true, but notice what it says. 
God loves us even when we're dead in transgression. In other words, God's not waiting for you to scrub yourself up and improve yourself and go on a special training course and then he'll accept you. Uh Uh-uh. He loves you as the person that you are today. Scripture reminds us why we were sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't intend us to self-improve so that we might become acceptable. Uh Uh-uh. God's love is not diminished by who we are and what we are. Often the way that we relate to people depends on their behaviour. But God's not like that. His love's not put put off by what we do, what we are. But then it says God has made us spiritually alive. In other words, he gives us a new life. We're born again, born from above. So this was the verse of my first sermon. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I was a teenager when I preached that sermon. So this is my outline. The gospel in eight words. By grace, that's the source of our salvation. God's salvation comes because of his grace. Wanting to give us what we don't deserve. But then it says, you... You personally are the object of that salvation. God loves you, shows his grace to you. And then notice the certainty, have been. When God saves us, that lasts forever. Saved is the content of our salvation. And it's through our trust in Christ that we are actually saved. Then believe it or not, I broke it down. So when I talked about you, how are we described here in Ephesians? Well, it says in verse 1, we're dead in sin. Verse 2 says we're corrupted or depraved by sin. Verse 2 also says we're led about by Satan, we're deluded by him. We're disobedient to God, we're defiled or polluted by sin, and we're doomed because of sin. These are the people that God wants to save and can save. What does it mean to be saved in these verses? If God saves a person, what does it mean? It means that we're saved from the penalty of sin. We will not experience the judgment of God upon what we've done wrong. He'll forgive our sin and remove that as a barrier between ourselves and him. But also we're saved from sin's power. Sin does not have to rule over us, dominate us, dictate who we are or what we are and ultimately when Christ returns we're going to be saved through sins from sin's presence so we're saved through faith what does it mean to have faith what does it mean to have faith that's going to make you a Christian faith is a strong belief or trust or confidence that what God says is true about you and Christ and then acting on it. 
In other words, I accept what God says about me as a person. I am a sinner. I have violated God's laws. I have crossed boundaries. And that's true. But also God says that while I was like that, Christ died for me. We had that illustrated with the cross today. So therefore, the Bible says that if I'll confess I'm a sinner, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So faith is believing that, accepting that and acting on it. Its focus is Christ. He is the only one that can save us, forgive us, grant us eternal life. The result is that we belong to God. So this is a great verse. By grace you have been saved through faith. Now is that true of you? Can you initial that and say that's true of me? That my faith today rests on Christ. I've trusted him. I've asked for his forgiveness. Scripture reminds us God sent his son to be the saviour of the world. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Preaching in Acts 13, Paul says, Listen, in this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is freed from all guilt and declared right with God. That's what God is saying to us today. So if Ephesians 2.8 was to be true of you, what do you need to do? to make that verse your verse. Well, you need to admit that what these verses said, that we are dead in sins. But then to turn from that, to repent means that I'm determined never to go there again. It's not just a matter of saying sorrow, sorry. It means I'm determined never ever to repeat that. Also, we need to believe that Christ died on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin, for my sin, that he rose again from the grave. And then through prayer, ask God to forgive you. Well, here's such a prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and need your forgiveness. I believed you died on the cross for my sins. I want to turn from my sin. I ask you to forgive me and become my Lord and my Saviour. Amen. I prayed that prayer as a teenager. We'd actually had a film at our church, a film that depicted the life of a missionary in China, a medical doctor. And it was during the Japanese invasion of China. And word came through there was an attack about to happen and they should evacuate all the patients out of the hospital. Visiting the doctor was his brother from America, who was not a Christian. And so they got patients out and put them into trucks and so on to evacuate everyone. And as they were about to leave, the doctor said, Oh, I've forgotten my bag. And a Chinese orderly said, Just wait there, doctor, I'll go and get it. So he dashed into the hospital, and at that time the raid happened. The hospital was bombed. After the raid was passed, the doctor went into the rubble to look for this Chinese orderly. In the end they found him pinned underneath a great big 
concrete beam and he was dying. The doctor said to his non-Christian brother, you wait with him, I'll go and see if I can get some water and try and make him comfortable. So while the doctor was gone, this Chinese man said to this American, he says, don't worry about me, he says, I'm going to go to be with Jesus tonight. You don't have to worry about me. And I thought, if I'd been there under that beam, I couldn't say that. That would not have been true of me. If I'd died that night, I would not have gone to be with Jesus. I would have been damned. So that night I went home and asked God to forgive me, praying a prayer similar to this. My question is to you, who are you most like? That Chinese orderly, if you were to die today, you'd go to be with Christ. Or like that American man visiting his brother who was not a Christian. If he'd died and been caught in that raid, he would have been lost forever, banished from God's presence. So these are eight words that you can take home with you. By grace you have been saved through faith. Can you make that your verse today? Can that be true of you? Or are you yet to make that decision? Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we thank you today that you sent your Son to be the Saviour of the world. We thank you you loved us with a love that cannot be diminished. That despite who we are and what we are, you love us. And because of that, you sent your son. Pray today that it might be true of each of us, that this verse can be true of us, that we've been saved because of your grace, through our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. So we ask for your help in this. We ask for that in Christ's name. Amen.